The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, Yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Today our readings invite us to reflect upon obedience to the will of God and the consequence of our disobedience to that will, leading us ultimately to a place of trust. We begin with Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet speaks to us the word of the Lord, and he reminds us of this wonderful reality, the choice that we have of life and death. If one turns from virtue to vice, the Lord tells us, he will die. He will have properly earned what he has sought out. To turn away from the path of holiness is to turn away from the will of God. It's to turn away ultimately from God himself. And if God is life, when we separate ourselves from God, it's natural that death is the result. And this is why St. Paul says in so, many wage, in so many words, the wages of sin, your earnings from sin, is death. But the good news is if we turn from vice to virtue, if we repent of our sin and turn back to the Lord, we will live. We shall not die. That doesn't mean that we will become immortal when we will always live here on earth. What Ezekiel is pointing to is the reality of our eternal life or eternal death. All of us will taste physical death unless the Lord comes in his glory before then. But all of us are not required either to live or to die necessarily for eternity. The choice ultimately is ours. Are we willing to turn from our sin? Or will will we instead press deeper into it? And this is the question. This is the charge that our blessed Lord is putting to the, the priests and the elders of the people today in the gospel. He's speaking to the ones who should know better. The theologians, the scholars, the bishops, if you will, equating it to the life of the church today. To the priests, to the ones who ought to have gone to school and known better. It's to them that he poses the question, what's your opinion? And then lays out the story of the two sons. The equation, of course, is made directly to that of Ezekiel. And it's for that reason that 
the bishops of the church in the, in the 60s, when they were re- revising the lectionary, put these two readings together. Jesus was intentionally referencing Ezekiel, where one says yes, but then turns away from it, and the other says no, and then turns to do it. We can say yes to God in seeking virtue, and we can appear virtuous in so many ways, and yet still seek out vice and sin. But if we are in our sin, if we first say no, we can turn back and say yes and repent. This is why the Lord is so emphatic about this reality. One of the common things in the day was kind of a cultural thing of, of respect. You never disrespected anyone in public. It was a serious offense, especially your father. So if your father comes to you and says, go work in the vineyard, and you say, yes, sir, but don't do it, to the public eye, that was more pleasing. It would be better to, to visibly be respectful of your father rather than to disrespect him in public, even if you didn't do what he said. That was kind of the common logic of the day. And this is why Jesus is putting them to the test. Are you going to bow down the common logic of the day? Is it you, not Pharisees, priests and and the, the elders of the community, are you willing to say yes and do the will of God? Because you've already said yes. But it seems instead that you have said yes to following God and then completely neglected to do so. You are the son who says yes, but doesn't work. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the ones that you look down upon, the ones that you, that you shrink away from, that you would refuse to touch lest you become unclean, they are getting into heaven quicker than you because they are willing to turn back to, to God from their sins. They're willing who first said no to the will of God to come back and say, I was wrong. I will go and I will do my work. I will labor in the vineyard of God. The question also is then put to us. Are we willing to repent of our sin when we recognize it? Are we willing to see the stuff of our soul And to turn back after we've said no to the will of God and make it a yes. Or are we like those, it seems, in the gospel today who would say yes, but then live no. And when called to it, then to continue to press in deeper and deeper, to dig in their heels, it seems, because very few of the elders and the, chief, and the chief priests and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, very few of those people who were the leaders of the community ever, it seems, converted. The harshest words that Jesus has are for the ones who should have known better, but refuse because of their hardness of heart. Are we willing to turn back to the Lord and to say yes, where first we might have said no? The first invitation that I would extend to each of you today is to go to confession. Go to confession. It can be a scary thing. And again, I know the devil gives us a thousand reasons why we ought not to go to confession. Why do I need a priest? 
Why do I need that priest? What's the priest going to think? What's the priest going to say? Why can't I just go to get straight to God to have my sins forgiven? My sins aren't that bad. I don't need to do anything about it. I do much worse. You know, that person does much worse than me. I'm pretty good in this case. In so many ways, these and countless others, the devil whispers into our ear why we ought to stay away from the powerful mercy of God himself. And you know why? Because the devil can't receive mercy. And he doesn't want us to either. This is the incredible thing about the devil, is that he hates us so much that he, in his own hard-heartedness, desires to gain people on his side simply so that we can experience the sufferings and the deprivation of God's goodness that he experiences already. He doesn't want us to experience goodness. He doesn't want us to experience mercy. He doesn't want us to experience joy and peace and freedom and all the things that God desires to give to us who so frequently can go and be bound in our sins. He does not want us to experience this because he himself can't. The devil has made one choice and it is forever. And his choice is no. And he hates the fact that we can say no but repent And turn back to God and say yes. So he whispers quietly into our ear all sorts of convincing thoughts. Why we ought to stay away from the confessional. And they seem sensible to us. But every last one that we listen to keeps us away from the mercy of God. It keeps us in our sin. And it prevents us from turning back to the Lord. This is why the devil hates us so much. We can experience God's goodness, and he can't. So go to confession. It's offered here regularly. It's offered before every Sunday Mass here in the parish. It's offered on Tuesday evenings. It's offered on Thursday evenings. And it's offered any time you catch a priest and say, Father, can you hear my confession? Rarely have I met a priest that said no. And when he said no, it's because I came at an inopportune time and he said, no, right now, wait 10 minutes and I'll be back. Priests are here for confession, period. It's part of the reason that we are given to the church. We make Christ present in the Eucharist, most certainly. We can offer various other sacraments, most certainly. But the one thing that we offer is the one thing that Christ came to give first and foremost when he came back from the dead. He breathed upon his disciples, gave them the Holy Spirit, and said, Whose sins you've received, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. That is the first thing that Jesus said when he came back. It must be important. Confession is a necessary part of the spiritual life. Secondly, I would encourage you to put your trust in the Lord. The reality of sin is that sometimes sin is a thing that keeps growing back. We all know we have Roundup and other weed killers of greater, uh, of greater intensity here in the community. And there are these things, there are sometimes where weeds, the way you spray it and it just comes back. And there are some things you can try to cut it out and it just pops up somewhere else. You can root it up one here and it's going to pop up over there. You can do all kinds of things and it will simply keep coming back. And this is what sin happens to, to do in our souls. It's deeply rooted very often. And we can be very frustrated with its presence in us and in others. 
But in this, it's a place to trust in God. Very often we can look at sin. We can look at not following the will of God because they're the same thing. We can look at straying from Christ and his church, the same thing. We can do all of these things and be concerned. We can be concerned about eternal life or eternal death. We can be fearful that things will not happen as we would hope, that conversion and true freedom from sin may never take place. We can be angry sometimes at ourselves, at others, at God, because things don't happen in the time that we would expect them to or that we would hope them to. How many times I've heard people exasperated come to the confessional and say, Father, it's the same old stuff. And I've said it too. This is the reality is that so many of the same things, they can be troublesome to our hearts. And we see it in ourselves and we see it in others. We can be frustrated at our own sins, our own weakness and shortcomings. But very often we can be concerned about those whom we love. Frequently I've heard parents and grandparents, godparents and friends come concerned. What can I do for my child, grandchild, niece, nephew, godchild, friend, brother, sister, whatever? What can I do for them to help them grow in faith, to come back to the faith, to find the gift of faith? And we can be concerned about so many things and desire to do something. I myself experience a similar thing with regards to each of you, my parishioners, and the ones that aren't sitting in the pews today. I myself desire and want sometimes for things to happen that I simply can't do. This is the reality of our weakness. But in our weakness, we must turn to Christ, who is our strength. If I rely upon myself and my own gifts, my own wisdom, my own intuition, my own insight, and all these other things of myself, the majority of what I would do in trying to imbue the faith, to, to enliven the faith in an individual, will come to absolutely nothing. But if I am faithful to Christ and ask Him to do these things, very often they take place. The simple fact is that whenever we face a sin in our own selves, or when we face sin in others that we love and desire to see them turn back to the Lord, it's an invitation for us to place our trust in God, who, as we heard last weekend, whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts. The way God does things is different than what we would expect. And again, this can be frustrating because things don't happen in the way that we would expect them to happen, the way we hope them to happen, and the timeline and the manner and all the other details which we might present to God as a nice, a nice rule book for him to, to play by uh, so as to make us happy and to make us understand and to help us to see the fruits of our labors. But God calls us to trust, immense trust. Oftentimes when I look out in the fields that surround all over our, in our parish, I look and I can get a little bit of envy in my heart. I don't know any analogy ultimately falls short. 
But it, to my mind, it kind of works in this way. Those who are in the farming, those who, who deal with the things of the earth, who plant seed and it grows things, have a grace. Because you can plant something and you can see something happen. It grows, it changes, it evolves, it bears fruit. But in the spiritual life, sometimes we can see fruits in people, but very often they are hidden from our eyes. Imagine, farmers, if your job was to grow whatever it is that you particularly grow, but it was invisible to you. You planted seeds that you didn't know were actually there. You wait and you take care of the fields, seeing nothing come out of the ground. You run, you run all the, the, the stuff to, to pull in the harvest, and the bin fills up with the nothing that you can see, and you send it away, and you hope that something's there. This is the spiritual life. Because the soul is not something that we can see. God can see. God looks into the heart. But sometimes, whether within ourselves or within other people, we can desire to see some change, but be completely unaware that it's actually taking place. It is happening. We just don't know. It is taking place. But we just can't see. It takes trust. Trust in the Lord. Before I entered the seminary, I, like most young men in teenage years, dated. That may come as a scandal to you. I dated people. It's okay. I'm human, in case you haven't figured it out after six years. And one of the things when I would, when I would tell my mom that, that I got a new girlfriend... She would always politely remind me, Brent, just remember, Mama loved you first, and Mama loved you best. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But in regards to ourselves and others, in this wrestling with our own sinfulness, the simple fact is, God loved you first, and God loved you best. As much as we might love others, and as much as we might desire it for ourselves... God always loves others and ourselves and desires it more than we do. We can't desire freedom from sin more than God desires it for us. We can't desire conversion of another person, aliving in the faith for another person, renewal for our children, for our grandchildren, for whatever family or friend we have. We can't desire it more than God himself does. It's impossible. And if God loves them and cares for them, more than we ourselves can, we can trust. We can trust that things may not be as we understand it. We may not see, but God is doing everything possible to bring these desires that we have in our hearts to fruition in the lives of ourselves and others. We can stake our lives on that, absolutely. So ultimately, our part is not to look for the fruits. We can be tempted to. I'm certainly tempted myself. God desires of us not to look for fruits. He desires to look for Him. Just look to Christ. He desires not just fruitfulness, but especially faithfulness. 
for us to continue to keep our eyes fixed on him. And sometimes he will, he will change things within us. He will uproot things within us and pull it out much to our confusion and much to our surprise. And he will do the same in those around us, oftentimes because of us, if we're faithful to him. If we're continuing to simply place our trust in him and to know that he is taking care of things. To aid us in faithfulness, I would encourage three specific things. This is nothing new. You've heard it from my lips probably at least a dozen times. But it's something that I think I I will never get tired of saying. Thinking about getting it put on my tombstone, in fact, to continue preaching it after I'm dead. Three practical things every single one of us can do to be faithful to Christ and to grow in our faithfulness to Christ, to grow in our trust in Christ, is first to go to confession every single month. That sounds crazy, I know. But go to confession every single month. It's easy for us, again, to slough it off entirely. It's easy if we go simply to be able to, to go occasionally. But to set a particular time is a great grace. To con- commit to a certain time can be a wonderful thing. To say that every first Saturday, every third Saturday, every fourth Sunday, every third Tuesday, because we have confessions Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, first Saturdays, any other day of the week, you can certainly grab a priest. To pick a day and make a point to get to confession. Put it on your calendar, put a reminder on your phone, whatever you need to do, and mark it consistently and regularly. And you will see transformation happen. You won't have to worry about just trusting. You will see and experience transformation happening. And he will help you to be faithful. To put into action what Christ desires of us today. To turn away from sin and to turn back to the Lord. To face always Christ. Go to confession every single month. The second thing, go to mass every single week. The church tells us to do that anyway. So you're welcome. We'll get throwing you an easy pitch there. To go to Mass every single week is to be able to come to our Lord and to make sure that we spend at least an hour each week in the presence of God with the worshiping community. To be members of the body of Christ because we're not supposed to be just people who happen to get together. We're supposed to be members of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ and we ought to know each other. To be close to one another. To spend time next to each other. And this is the grace of coming here regularly to Holy Mass. So we can go and grow in those bonds together. But we also get to hear the word of God. To adore the Eucharist. And even to receive the Eucharist. Incredible graces offered to us. So to get to Mass each week. A certain way to get you to grow in your faithfulness, commitment to Christ. And lastly, if you desire to grow in faithfulness, I would encourage you to ensure that you spend time every single day in prayer. As Catholics, we've got 10,000 prayers. We've got devotionals more than you will ever, ever even know. We've got more things of strings on beads or beads on strings than you can even count. 
We've got incredible prayers of the church, incredible, incredible, just the devotional life of the church. We have, you know, time to spend in the, pre- in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, praying with sacred scripture, praying with spiritual books, with spiritual writings, with devotionals, praying with your catechism. All of these things and many, many more are simply ways where we can grow in our contact and our communion with God. Wherever you are in your journey in faith, pray daily. Every single day. Again, it doesn't have to be a huge chunk of time. But to commit every single day to spending some moments listening and speaking to our God will ensure that you're able more clearly to hear his voice and more boldly to stay close to him in faithfulness. And so as we come and offer this Holy Mass on this Feast of St. Vincent de Paul, giving thanks for St. Vincent's intercession and example for us as he himself sought to do all of these things faithfully and to lead others to that same faith. Let us ask the grace to recognize our sin, to repent of it, to turn back to God and to trust.